I'm Rob Hopkins, and this is Imagination Taking Power, a podcast where I share with you conversations, insights, and aha moments on my journey towards writing a book about imagination. A question that has arisen in my research around imagination, and also in the recent interview I did with Stuart Candy, was what would it look like if a local, city, or national government were to create a Ministry of Imagination? If the revitalization of the imagination were felt to be so important that its protection, enhancement and cultivation need the bespoke department, one that cross-cut other departments, attempting to raise the imaginative capacity of the entire administration. It was an idea that really stuck with me. Gabriela Gomez-Mont is one of the only people I've come across who has actually done that. Her background is in the world of arts and culture, having worked as a journalist, documentary filmmaker, visual artist and experimental curator. She now leads Laboratorio para la Ciudad, or Laboratory of the City, which is, to all intents and purposes, a ministry of imagination in Mexico City, founded several years ago as an experimental arm creative think tank for the Mexico City government, which reports to the mayor. When she very generously gave me an hour of her time, I had so many questions. The best place to start, it seemed to me, was to ask how the laboratory came about and what it does. Out of the blue, I got an offer of the incoming mayor of Mexico City about five years ago to basically propose a new type of city department. And the very intriguing part of it was that basically he gave me free reign to invent a new type of office from scratch. The only thing that he asked was that it be high on on a possible reinvention of how government collaborates with with, uh, citizens. So basically, what does new models of participation look like and what could new models of governance become? Uh, uh, So basically, to be honest, at the beginning, I I thought I really did not want to work within bureaucracy. I had kept government as far away as possible (laughs) from my life, except for voting every every so often. Um, But then again, I was offered to a fellowship where I would have plenty of time to actually think about it. And it suddenly, to my artistic heart, it felt like a really fantastic provocation of the mayor of you know the fourth largest city in the world and one of my obsessions since many years back which is mexico city to basically be able to invent a city department from scratch what would it look like how does it function how does it insert itself less in the bureaucracy and more in the city etc cetera, etc cetera. so i i thought okay like let's do this as a speculative exercise i'm sure it will be outlandish enough that they'll say no but then again it will be a prompter for my for my fellowship and i can have all sorts of meetings around this and then just function as 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 the axis of my next four or five months uh so to make a long story short i came back from my fellowship um i got the the, gov- the new government had already started and i called i got called in out of the blue uh to present the last version of what i was proposing and then to my huge surprise, after the meeting, he said, okay, great, go for it. They, you will get a call and we will be announcing the existence of a lab for the city in 10 to 15 days. And so then 10 to 15 days later, I was shell-shocked in front of 500 people, mostly men in ties, which was very different from my former world, as well as uh, a lot of journalists. And the mayor was announcing the existence of Laboratorio para la Ciudad. Um, so five years later, 
I am black and blue from the extreme learning curve, but it's also been, strangely enough, one of the greatest adventures of my life. And Laboratorio has become, as I mentioned, the experimental arm slash creative think tank of the Mexico City government. And one of the interesting things the lab is the composition of the team that is very much in tune with the importance of imagination and in spheres where we, we, we it seems that there would be a desert of it um, where you know creative bureaucracy that we just got a prize for seems to be a huge oxymoron um, but basically my team is composed half of it there's 20 people average age 29 years old more or less which is also more or less the average age of Mexico City funnily enough um, so I like to think that on one hand we're actually prototyping what government could look like for a new generation that on one hand does not necessarily have a lot of trust in institutions or in governments and I think this is something that is happening worldwide but on the other we're seeing this interest and this uh, just like all of this energy that surrounds civic projects and them wanting to sink their hands into the city and to be able to actually help create the city around them so how do we deal with this parent and can a lab become a place where instead of this being an oxymoron, it becomes government can become a funnel into the city itself and, and the place where they can actually engage with all of these subjects uh, that the government engages with because there's nothing of a city that isn't, in a certain sense, uh, touched upon by government. Um, so the second thing is the composition of my team that I was mentioning. Half of, half of them come from disciplines that you'd imagine within government, such as urban geographers, data analysts, political scientists, social scientists, uh, civic tech experts. And then exactly the other half come from um, arts and culture, the humanities. So working hand in hand with them are also artists and designers and filmmakers, architects, social innovation experts, activists, philosophers, etc. Etc. And everything that we do sits in between. And basically, this this is very much on purpose. It was one of the most difficult coming togethers of the lab because we all came from very different languages and from, in a certain sense, structuring our worlds and our disciplines in a way that is not necessarily compatible. But I've always been incredibly obsessed by the potential of transdisciplinary practices, knowing as well that if we don't design the transdisciplinary spaces and conversations right, there is the great danger of everybody watering down their own language and their own discipline um, instead of creating synergies just because, again, like we come from such different fields that, that hold such different values. Um, but at the same time, I have a feeling that it, modernism has, le has left its dent in the way that we think about cities and government. So we're still thinking, I think, under metaphors and paradigms of um, the city as a machine, the city as a factory, the city is made to be fast and efficient and productive. When, yes, that can be an important set of values, but at the same time, we're, I think, losing sight that cities, in a way, were an answer to first questions of societies of how are we going to live together? How are we going to move together? How will we be healthy together? And that all of those questions, in many ways, at their heart, have something that is not necessarily productive <laughs> or swift or efficient, but has to do more with the way that we make meaning individually and collectively. And in a certain sense, because of that, we've become not only intrigued by the physical infrastructure of the city and the data uh, block by block that surrounds the city, but you know, the, the urban geography department of the lab is very invested in, 
but also about how mind anchors to matter, like the, the, the symbolic infrastructure of the city, the way that the micro-territories and the, the small communities add up or don't to a larger narrative of Mexico City. So in many ways, we feel that the humanities need to be present again. Why? Because first of all, we're seeing, I think, with the latest election, Brexit and beyond, um, that we are not necessarily completely rational creatures. Like there's a lot of gut hidden and there's a lot of feeling. And I have a feeling that if we don't start addressing that as well, and if we pretend that everything is based on fact and data, we're losing out on a huge part of how we have created the scaffolding for realities. Because, I mean, many of these imaginaries and, and imagination in general, and again, like the way that we've made meaning and, and, and tell ourselves our stories, would seem to sometimes travel at a different uh, scale and a, and a different wavelength, if you will. But it's actually many times the the, um, the place where reality gets spread. So how do we deal with that? How do we bring that into account? And how does government actually in any way use this as a prime matter of the type of societies that we want to create? And hence rethink government not only as a pri provider of services and, and the one that receives the complaints of everything that is not working well, but regain that political sense and that political imagination that government is that place to have a conversation about who we want to be, both right now as well as in the future, and who we have been, and, and in a certain sense, dig deep into the urban DNA, if you will, um, that comprises both the built and physical environment, but also kind of like the social energy that circulates around it. So could you give us... I'm not sure if that was too wide. No, no, that was And tell me if you wanted me to be shorter. <laughs> no, no, that was fabulous. I, I, I wonder if you could give us a sense of what what you've done during that period of time. What what's kind of come out of it, or you know, what, yeah. Absolutely. So I'll give you an example of how we try to layer our work and how we try to work on different domains. Because um, the reason why I'm not only researching these urban and social topics through the lens of the humanities because I think that the, the, this tension-filled and hopefully productive conversation needs to take place at the crux of many disciplines and many ways of viewing and entering the city. Um, so basically, on one hand, the, every project that we do at the lab goes into very deep research in terms of uh, spatial analysis. Uh, Mexico City is the fourth largest city in the world. Our biggest resource, I do believe, is the sheer diversity of the city because, you know, in, in terms of urban DNA, the combined possibilities of the city, just because of everything and the vast difference that it contains, is actually quite amazing. But unfortunately, because the way we've articulated our society, I have the feeling that that, that difference, instead of becoming a repertoire of gargantuan possibility, actually becomes an Achilles heel in terms of inequality, division, Etc. Etc. So there's a lot of things that we need to heal, and I think a lot of links to be made between the spaces that are not necessarily articulated or talking to each other, or being able to figure out how to mobilize the resources across the city. So on one hand, first of all, figuring out that Mexico City, just to name one example in terms of uh, the analysis of spatial justice that we've been doing, um, we found out there that there's uh, five million kids in the metropolitan area, three million kids city proper. This is, you know. Children under 14 years of age is one of our analysis for these numbers. So imagine, like, this is a whole Denmark or whole Finland of people under 14 years of age. And no city planning has been done around children. 
A, B, when you think of Mexico City, the last thing that comes to mind is a city of kids. So, you know, there's also a, a lack of, of being able to imagine the city that we already are, <laughs> funnily enough, so that, that, creates a, that creates a gap in our understanding as well as a gap in our focus. Um, and then one of the things that we started researching was how can we think about the right to the city for kids with which is in our new constitution, as well as rescue the right to play that is actually the law that we passed a couple of years back, but that we have not put into effect. So we've created tools at the lab where we can see block by block the concentration of kids across the city. We can then cross that with indexes of marginalization and segregation across the city as well, and then figure out in a certain radius uh, the intensity of of public space and green space that they have access to or the lack of thereof. So we've been figuring out that, let's say, Iztapalapa, which is one of our boroughs, has almost half a million kids and has less than three square meters of open space in in that same borough. Uh, whereas other places have a third part of the, the children's population but have 52 square meters of, of open and green space uh, per inhabitant. So basically, this means that there is no way that we can think of Mexico City as a whole, but we have to think of it, yes, visions for a megalopolis that pertain us all, but at the same time, we need to sink down into the micro-territories and understand on a much more granular level, both what it looks like in terms of its societies and its urban forms, and then be able to do things around this. So these types of tools are letting us enter uh, very precisely spaces of the city and know that you do not deal with Las Lomas, for example, that is, you know, as green as, as the best of the green cities get, with Iztapalapa that has incredibly dire conditions, uh, a lot of social violence, and it's a really a, a very intense place for children to grow up. Um, um, so that, that would be kind of like the, the more rational side of the lab and how we really want to be very, like create very precise methods of, of being able to enter the city and how we make decisions and how we work with other city departments. But at the same time, with the pretext of the new uh, Mexico City Constitution, the mayor entrusted us with several tasks. And one of the things that we proposed was creating a survey called uh, Imagine Your City, which is basically the first survey we've done on urban imaginaries. So we also wanted to understand not only the objective city that we have a lot of data on, but also the subjective city. How are people relating to, to their territories and to, and to Mexico City in general. So we ask questions such as, what are the three first words that come to mind when you think of Mexico City? What are the three things that you value the most? What are the three things that pain you the most? How do you imagine the future of Mexico City? What did the government need to do to get to that ideal future? And what did you need to do? So we have 31,000 answers uh, across 1,400 neighborhoods in Mexico City. Since we let out an army of people into the streets, it's actually very evenly distributed between um, gender, ages, uh, social, like economic divisions, et cetera, et cetera. And it's been an incredibly interesting tool for us because now we can navigate the city also through these subjectivities and, and figure out really interesting things, especially dealing with the futures, which are open-ended questions. And suddenly we're finding out that even though we were prompting for positive futures, we both mostly got back dystopic futures from the population, like more Mad Max, the city is going to run out of water, we're all going to die type of thing. And so then comes an onslaught of questions for us is, should government care about the fact that people are not imagining an alternative that is not cost 
catastrophic. Um, should we care about the subjective way that people are relating to the city? Should we be able to create policy not only about what we know for a fact that is an issue in certain neighborhoods, but also what people perceive to be an issue or perceive to be a value? And found that interesting things that even though Mexico has been cutting um, the budget for culture every every presidential term, and suddenly we're figuring out that even in the poorest of poor neighborhoods, people value culture above everything, even education. So what does that actually entail for the type of cities that we're creating? Um, we, we've also come across um, several other questions, such as how are we democratizing imagination? Because so many times we think about you know democracy in terms of, um, of sustenance, if you will, you know, of access to what? Water, access to food, access to jobs, but what happens with access to possible futures? What happens to access of resources? Um, and we've had several really interesting collaborators, such as Carlos Cruz, who used to be part of uh, a gang, uh, actually leader of a gang back in the 90s, and at one point in time, a lot of his friends got killed, and he said, okay, this needs to stop. And so instead of being part of the gangs, now he has one of the more interesting organizations in the world for getting people and young people, especially out of gangs and into other spaces. You know, and one very provocative conversation with Carlos, um, he was telling me that even the, the things that the government is doing in terms of crime prevention are basically criminal, pre-criminalizing kids and young people from certain neighborhoods saying, okay, like, we know you will grow up to be a bad apple and you know, so you don't kill me or rob me at one point in time. We're going to create all sorts of social services or around you, um, when that's actually not the way that we should be going. We, how can we think of the city rather of as untapped potential, and it's actually in benefit of everybody for that potential to be able to take on its fullest form as well as to circulate across the city and become an active of the city itself, of that human capital, if you will, but no longer understood under, like, if you have a degree or not, but rather, what are the things that each of us bring to the table? And so we... It became very intrigued through all of this research also in rethinking the role of government. And again, less maybe as a provider of services uh, that, to be honest, I'm not that intrigued by, but more what would it take for this new role of government, especially now that we need to go deep into governance and that we know that governments can't do everything on their own, of catalyzing citizen talent, of being able to see like these these articulations that we're lacking or the ones that, are, that, are, that could be... Uh, even further pushed and to be, help articulate the city as a space of knowledge, as a space of resources. Uh, very intrigued by urban commons, for example, because I mean, that's, that's also, you know, putting the, 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 the urban and, and the city resources for up for grabs so that people can also use public space, use new type of civic uh, spaces, et cetera, et cetera, as one way of doing this on their own and of creating public value from from their own spheres, I think is one of the more interesting conversations that should, cities should get into. Though I still think we're a little bit stuck in um, in our modernist paradigms, if you will, and the way that we're, we're thinking about both cities and governments. And I wonder, how, what's your sense? You mentioned about how when you went out to people and asked about the future, you got lots of dystopian visions back. I wonder what your sense would be of the state of health of our imagination in 2018? I think uh, the state of imagination in 2018 is quite paradoxical in nature. 
um, because on one end, and I see this in Mexico City, I think that we are lacking a a vision of possibilities. Um, and as, as many political scientists have said, it seems that capitalism has, has left us with a sense that there is no outside. There is no alternative to these monolithic realities and global realities that we've been creating. Um, where I find that there's hope is possibly no longer in the big utopias of you know creating a, a huge alternative to capitalism, <laughs> if you will, but what happens with the heterotopias in places as diverse and as vast as Mexico City. Um, and so right now, to name just one example, we've been researching with Pablo Landa, fantastic anthropologist, uh, different forms of government, governance and public participation and and even social movements that have sprung across Mexico City in the last 30, 40 years and that have been quite fundamental in rethinking the way that small communities are working in. Um, and Mexico City is so, just like so different in, in all of its territories that we've been finding really interesting examples of communities coming together and creating their own tiny social political systems, if you will, very much akin with what you were mentioning, of figuring out on their own, like, what are the economies? What do we want? How do we relate to governments? Can we create new notions of housing? Uh, can we think about uh, co-ops and, and social economies and uh, social solidarities and all sorts of things? And these are happening in tiny corners all across Mexico City. Our question now is, and I think this is a really interesting question for, for imagination, is partly because they have not necessarily been visible. There has been a, an advantage that they've flown under the radar and in a certain sense have not necessarily been co-opted by larger systems. On the other hand, I think that if we don't spell these out and give them more visibility, at large, we keep on being stuck in the, the reigning paradigms because we don't know that this is possible. So I'm quite curious to know if the rest of Mexico City found out that other 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 communities across Mexico City were doing this or that. How would that actually influence a learning curve of us being able to take on bits and pieces to make up our own versions of social and urban reality? Is, uh, from the micro territories onwards. So one of the things that we've been experimenting with lately um, is trying to revamp uh, participatory budgets in Mexico City for these purposes, to make them more into social R&D instead of what they are now, which is uh, just like more of the performance of democracy where people end up you know, painting a wall or buying lighting or getting police cars without policemen, <laughs> um, which, you know, it's, it's fine, but that should come out of other budgets because participatory budgets in Mexico City, and we have $5 million a year and fund more than 2,000 projects, were in their origin actually thought to be of ways of, of local governance, of the community being able to identify on their own what were some of the challenges and opportunities of their neighborhoods and then being able to generate um, governance structures around them with the help of government. So imagine $10 million and 2,000 projects for social R&D, if this works correctly. And we've been finding uh, positive deviances, as, as a friend would say, of saying, okay, like it's not working well in general, but what are the places where we have projects that have been quite successful? And why were they successful? So working the other way around. And we found out, let's say, I'm sure you heard that uh, Finland about three years ago, all over the news, that they had like this super interesting experiment of, of creating senior homes that were also daycare 
uh, for children. And so creating all sorts of really interesting social dynamics where everybody ended up benefiting. It was exponential in its impact. Well, this actually happened more than eight years ago in Mexico City with participatory budgeting in one of the poorest neighborhoods in the city. And this was actually a citizen-driven project. And we've been finding many projects like this that actually spell out different ways that the community could uh, create public value for their spaces. But the thing is, news doesn't travel. In other cities, when one project comes about, let's say, you know, Boston remakes its, its public market, and I have the feeling that it has a way of being able to change the sense of self of a city. In Mexico City, really, really, really interesting things happen on many corners, but since we don't necessarily know about it, or because it's very difficult to own the city in its entirety in our head, let alone in our in our physical body, um, it becomes very difficult for these ideas to travel and to build up on, on each other. We also have like an amazing history of communal practices, uh, everything from agriculture to, to economic co-ops to indigenous ways of doing governance and democracy, but we have not analyzed them deeply enough because in, in, in terms of imagination, unfortunately, we've been chasing dreams and notion of progress of the first world instead of looking at our social composition in the eye and being able to build on that. Um, so one other example of some, a project that we're going to be working on next year with one of Mexico City's foremost biologists is in Xochimilco, uh, which is the, the rural part of Mexico City. And uh, it's, it's actually one of the places that has been doing agriculture in the same way for almost 600 years. So it was the way that the Aztecs planted, like made little islands on the lake, and that are in incredibly efficient uh, ways of creating organic produce. So, you know, if you want to talk about urban agriculture, maybe it's not necessarily rooftops in New York of 10,000 square meters, but actually hectares and hectares of floating agricultural gardens that were that used to be insanely productive and that actually inspired the aquaponics movement that as you probably know is one of the the more contemporary uh, urban practices for agriculture but that we've lost our we're, we're, or rather we're losing our historical knowledge because you know the big companies are coming in and convincing the chinamperos that we call them to use fertilizers that are in turn contaminating the river that are in turn making the produce less healthy and not organic, that are in turn uh, making the economies of scale not not function because people are not looking for, like, you know, they, they, we could get economies of scale if we went for organic, but not competing with uh, a bigger producers of, of tomatoes, let us say. Um, so in a certain sense, I have a feeling that we need to both dive deep into the past to rest an imagination that we've been losing because of the prevalescent global imagination and at the same time we need to be thinking about how that DNA pertains to our possible futures and to keep idiosyncrasy alive and know that those futures don't necessarily have to be uh, the future of New York or the future of London but actually futures a la mexicana if you will, <laughs> futures um, for and from Mexico City um, so I think that this is something that if we don't take as a challenge, it's very easy to be co-opted by other, type of, uh, other types of, of imagination, mm. so, if that makes so, any sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you mentioned that um, uh, part of what you're looking at is around telling stories of what's already happening, 
reclaiming the history of the place. I wondered, you know, the, 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 when Stuart mentioned the Ministry of Imagination, so firstly, do you see what you do as being a Ministry of Imagination? And secondly, uh, what would your... If, if other places, other, other cities, if, if, if the Mayor of London, for example, got in touch and said, we need a Ministry of the Imagination, or even if the, even if the national Mexican government got in touch and said, we need a, we need a Ministry of Imagination on a national scale, what would your advice be? Where would you start? What would they do? What would their brief be? So th to your first question, um, in many ways, one of the, the, the exercises that we've been most intrigued by is how do we think about the creative ethos that is so alive and present in arts and culture and this capacity to make reality malleable and bring that ethos into government and into fields and places that are not necessarily thought of as creative. So how does that creative ethos not only pertain to creating an exhibition or a performance or a temporal urban intervention or an artist plopping a statue in public space, but actually into deeper questions of and, and, and deeper social and urban articulations. Um, so this has been quite interesting because all of the projects that we are, we've been doing always have that component of saying, how do we instigate imagination around this? Because I think there's a very practical thing that we need to think about more deeply in terms of government that we've been calling legible policy that I might turn into tangible policy, which is many times uh, when new policy comes about, we, since when there's like a quote unquote cost, such as let's say reducing speeding, the, the, reducing the, the maximum uh, velocity for cars in certain neighborhoods, um, we complain like hell, we hate it, we don't want to do it, we won't see how we trick the system, we change our license plates, we spray something on it so, the, so that the cameras read the license plate, all of this is true, without knowing that this is actually to our own detriment, like uh, traffic accidents, to give you a very specific example, are the leading cause of death in children and adolescents across Mexico, and the second in Mexico City. So this is, it's, I mean, it's, it's dire circumstances. But the thing is, we're not necessarily being able to create a space where people can understand complex systems, like how one thing pertains to another thing, how something as small as reducing speed actually has an effect on our day-to-day -day life, has its consequences, but also has its futures. Um, so how do we start not only being able to give ways that people can digest uh, complex systems, but also understand their agency within them? How do we let them enter the story as well, especially when we're thinking of, of governance structures, where it's not only the place of government to create better societies, but it's the place for the whole of society to do so. Um, so on one end, I think that there, there's a very practical thing that we've been jumping into, saying how do we actually create uh, these these spaces where people can envision um, what the challenges at hand are, and then there's a, a part that I, that's that's much more speculative, if you will, of basically trying to think that imagination is not luxury, and that might be government's role, as I mentioned before, to think about political imagination and the way that we are provoking discussions and the type of projects that we create that many times uh, can scale not because of you know these methodological, more engineer-like ways of scaling, 
but because you create objects of desire, if you will, that will then go on to take on a life of its own. And so that's something that we've been we've been trying uh, quite a bit at the lab. And we also actually inaugurated, because of the survey that I mentioned, a department that's called Urban Futures that is basically trying to think out loud about how do you create uh, a vision for a megalopolis at the same time you, that we know inherently that it cannot be a monolithic future. So what do these heterotopias mean as well in terms of, of how uh, communities are imagining themselves forward? Um, that said, some of, like, some of this is very practical, some of it is theoretical. I still think that there is work to be done in being much more bold about how governments can think of a ministry of our imagination. And that I think we're only just beginning that conversation. And I think we've, we've had um, very good intuition and very interesting intuitions of what could be possible. But I still think it's one of those blue oceans, if you will, that I have the feeling that either people that are professionally doing futures studies and futures thinking and future making um, have only just put a dent in how that feeds back into the system and how that feeds into government and into society. Um, we, at, the, at one point in time, I had a fellowship with the Institute for the Future. And one of the things that I proposed and then no longer had time for it was creating an office of fictions and futures of basically putting into into play that our, our fictions are not necessarily um, uh, um, not necessarily antagonistic to reality or the opposite of reality but again like many times our futures are actually built on our fiction so how do we deal with that and engage with that a little bit more deeply and we've also been bringing artists into many of our projects that deal with mobility, that deal with uh, public space, et cetera, et cetera, to always try to get that sensation of um, the future to come through very specific projects. So one of them would be our interventions in public space for children that even though they're very small, have been really giving us interesting clues towards what, what, what does it mean to create spaces with the community, especially with children involved, and to have idiosyncrasy be part still of the way that we we intervene public space with the community in in mind um, and coming up with new type of new typologies and urban forms instead of just thinking that we need to copy paste playgrounds or copy paste the way that we do public space etc cetera, etc cetera. so that has been quite intriguing um, but again like to be honest to sum it up but you you've given me good food for thought that I should think about a little bit further because that was the intention in, in the beginning and yes it has been important but I do think that we still need to take it 20 steps forward. We really need to just like intensify that and um, and explore it much more deeply. The thing is, when you work, come into government, the expectations are such of being practical and efficient mm-hmm. <laughs> and service-oriented uh, that in a certain sense, I think we lose sight of these other explorations that need to happen with a little bit more openness. So, in fact, in the next evolution of the lab, um, it one of the things that I will be working much more deeply on and hopefully be able to be slightly more bold and outlandish in the type of explorations that we're doing. Mm. Um, the, the, um, so that's the first part. Sorry, sorry Karen. Tell me, tell me. Uh, well, no, I know. I, no, I was going to jump into what would I do, what would I propose to other cities if... Yes, uh, yes. But, but please tell me if, if you want me to... to if you no, want to throw perfect. another question, my no, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, do carry on. Uh, and so, so if I had to advise uh, another city uh, on a ministry for the imagination, 
I think the first steps would be very akin to what we've done. I, I would definitely look for transdisciplinary groups. I would look for creating um, a, a team of people that are willing to explore the gaps, the gaps between the the gaps between the conversations that are uh, that are being had, the gaps between the conceptual spaces that we've already created and jump into new ways of thinking about cities. Because I, I still think that these worlds are very divided and will need translators in between. Uh, I find very provocative and exciting stuff happening in the art world, but that have no influence whatsoever many times in the ways that we're creating realities um, in our cities and our societies. And on the other hand, I find that there are people, let's say, in mobility that have great ideas and very practical ideas of how a transportation system should move. But then again, they're not taking into account the social components. Um, they're not taking into account that in many ways, cities are about those social dynamics even more so than the physical and built environments. And that if we we keep it we keep it reined in and only think about ourselves as in charge of the physical infrastructure we're not necessarily thinking about the true essence of cities which is in the end that those social dynamics that get layered upon the physical city um so in a certain sense i would keep it open i we we have a new project coming up in november that's called the experimentalist cities political imagination and social creativity which is interviewing quite a few people across the fields that have been doing these hybrid practices um, in different corners and in different ways, sometimes a little bit more slanted towards arts and culture and the humanities, sometimes a little bit more slanted towards urban practices um, or social practices, but that I think have in their seed form this idea of those heterotopias that I was talking about, of people experimenting with different ways of being in the world um, that take into account the practical the practicalities but also that take into account uh the type of imagination that is coming out of those those practices the type of meaning that gets created how we latch on to these projects or don't how they leave us indifferent um and what i i would love for mexico city for example is instead of having like a, a concrete idea especially from within government of what this looks like is how do you open up space and how do you sign on possibility instead where people can finish those sentences in their own way and basically help us create a mega urban lab, if you will, of people experimenting with different forms across the city. So this, I think, means having the city become an enabling space. It means thinking about experimental cities. It means, I think, thinking of policy and thinking of the role of government and the way that we interact with society in a very different fashion. Um, so I think the next step, really, rather than saying, okay, like this is what we imagine and this is government telling us how which way we should go, is how do you have the city in and of itself become that enabling space? How do you democratize imagination? How do you democratize possibility? How do you relate and think of talent and the role of government vis-a-vis -vis, um, the creative capacity of its society? Um, so I have the feeling that, that we first would need to go into a lot of research and a lot of experimentation on, on small, smaller micro scales, which is something that we have been doing at the lab, and then blow that up into into larger scales. Um, because I mean, I know places such as Dubai have been doing interesting interesting projects in terms of imagining the future, but then again, is Dubai too locked up into a certain eco social economic system? Uh, let's say, like, I, I remember 
were in Dubai, they had this thing of, of the pop-up city of, you know, that you could just like, kind of like 3D print uh, cities and buildings. That's actually the modernist dream of 40 years ago that already exploded in our hands. <laughs> so, so basically, I have a feeling that the social imagination really needs to take... Uh, needs to take a much stronger space in the way that we, we're, we're thinking of our futures from the institutions and onwards. I think that does not answer your question, but the thing is I think it's a question to be explored and not necessarily to be answered yeah, no, <laughs> in a certain sense. And I wondered, I wondered listening to you if, if uh, sort of unpicking it, the, the whether what we've seen over the last 30, 40 years of becoming more and more specialized and different departments and different disciplines becoming more and more separate and isolated from each other has undermined the imagination of, of organizations. Absolutely. One of the things that we found is that the tension between the ways that we view the world and our paradigms are the places where another reality can unfold. Because the synthesis many times can be even antagonistic to the place where it started because it's a meeting point. So I have a feeling that the only way to think about uh, futures and imagination and all of these things that we've been talking about is from a systemic point of view, which is more emerging of discipline, but that becomes very difficult in a certain sense to manage. And I say that that word, um, I, or rather, I don't say that word lightly because I, I actually think that we've been going about wrong about our vocabulary as well. Because you know, in, in a certain sense, managing cities and managing realities gives you a much more totalitarian, if you will, and controlling view of how realities get created, when I have the feeling that we need to be able to work with fluxes and flows and, again, social energies that have a way of taking life on their own, and that you need to intervene in very different ways and from multiple perspectives. So that's also something that we've been trying to deal with um, within Mexico City government, and without meaning, we've become an in-between space where where people look for us now when, let's say, everything from from um, managing difficult discussions between civil society and government, let's say the Uber versus taxi debate, I actually was the one that negotiated the whole thing. And instead of thinking about this under more of a uh, practical terrain of practical negotiation, is how do we frame the conversation in a way that becomes productive? And it's not going to mean it's going to be an easy conversation because we, we actually have the largest fleet of cabs in the world. Um, but it means it, it, we can at the very least start digesting what we want and where our, our, our conversation should lie to make it slightly more productive. Um, so, so definitely. I, I definitely think that the silos have done a deal of harm mm. and that that's not what reality has looks like nor how it functions. And even even though it eases our minds and our brains, I guess, for, for having more digestible uh, forms and little pieces of that reality, in a certain sense, it doesn't necessarily do what it needs, what needs to be done. Uh, um, just the day before yesterday, and this is, a, this is somebody that you might want to interview, he, and he's here in Mexico City right now. Etienne Turpin, he's the director of Annex Act. Uh, he's a doctor in philosophy, but also has, um, you know, a, a crowdsourcing for crises program in Jakarta and uh, does books and that. But so yesterday we were, or the day before yesterday, we were on a panel together. 
and Etienne was talking about catastrophic versus anastrophic futures and talked about how uh, catastrophe is the past coming undone in the present, you know, just like everything converging and, and imploding or exploding. Whereas anastrophic futures is how do you actually design for that place where our different futures will converge? And so how do you actually jump into that space of possibility that you're foreseeing that certain elements will be coming together and design for that specific place where things that have not necessarily been touching will suddenly come together. Um, and I think it's a really interesting way of actually thinking about the place of imagination and the, and the place of in re intervention in in reality. Mm. And and you, uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does absolutely. And um, uh, do you have you given much thought in the lab about um, about how this relates to education in the city and schools? And we have a schooling system that is well, certainly I don't know about in Mexico, but certainly here we have a, an education system that seems to be very effectively destroying the imagination of uh, young people through stress and testing and here's a problem there's only one solution to it um, I wonder if, if there's a, a degree to which you're thinking about how we can be how young people can be coming out of school as as best equipped as possible to play their role in the city becoming more imaginative I absolutely agree and unfortunately um, we have a lot of work to do in that field uh, in Mexico in general. Um, again, like we are with this importation of notions of progress, I think the, preva the prevailing paradigm that we think is the future is more of the charter school system, which is not bad, but basically is very monolithic in ways of saying, oh yeah, we should be graduating physicists and mathematicians and left brain people um, instead of really thinking about what what it looks like to be creating a sense of agency and opening up the, the, the capacity to imagine other alternatives for unforeseen futures and for shifting realities. Um, we try to, because I think that's the place, that's one of the places to, to definitely work in. Um, but the thing is, the schooling system in Mexico City, the public schools, are actually not a local mandate, which is rare in Mexico City because most everything is the mayor's mandate. Um, but not public schooling. So we tried desperately to find if we could figure out how to get ourselves into the system and, uh, and, and find the Trojan horse, but we're unable to. Mm. So basically what we did was take to the streets and rather start developing uh, tools for government to use every time that they're working with a community or creating new public space of how do you bring in the kids into the decisions that are being made in, in government, especially in this first stage that pertain to them. Um, and how do you create a sense of agency with the streets of Mexico City as school, if you will, just because we could not enter the educational system, which is v much more rigid, actually, than the one in, in, in the UK, like much more limited, I think, in its in its sense of potential and its scope and the abilities that we need to be giving kids um, for the future. And so after after several years of of, uh, of the, the, the lab and working with the mayor and the mayor who very bravely and imaginatively said, here you go, Gabriela, 
create something and then said, okay, how, what's his, what's, what, what journey has it taken him on, do you think? What, how is it, how has it changed how he uh, governs the city? What sort of impact has it had more widely in the city's government, do you think? Are you are, are you viewed as the well, sort of the weird department of, of strange uh, people, or are you seen as being an integrated part of the of the local governments? Yeah, I think I think both. I think uh, we and and in many lovely ways actually, um, we're definitely seen like a weird department. But instead of that being like I don't get you, so keep away it's it's rather been a conversation as i don't fully get you and i don't fully know what you do but i'm intrigued so if you come knocking on my door i will very probably open up a space for a conversation and for and to work hand in hand um so in a certain sense i 